Today I welcome Mark Stanek, Head of School at Shady Hill School in the USA. In this episode, I discuss how to rebuild a community after the pandemic, embedding character education, and the importance of teacher training and teacher attention after the great resignation. Part of a modern school is to ensure that both the indoors and the living spaces outdoors, they're almost connected now. I think there's more of a need within education when you're redesigning campuses and looking at capital projects is that how do we actually make it so they're more immersive and more in keeping? Yeah, of course. You know, we were started as kind of an open air cooperative school, you know, and over the last few years, it's been really helpful to reclaim those roots, especially during this pandemic. But I'll just say that, you know, when we were redesigning our science and math building, we wanted to have a green roof, but we also wanted to have a living garden that would really very much go in line with some of the curriculum that the kids do around community in first and second grade. And so we do plantings and then they harvest it in the fall. And it's just, it's wonderful for them to see and appreciate, you know, nature, but also to be outdoors all the time. So, you know, we're this enclave of like 18 little buildings where each grade has its own little cabin and it's like a little camp. It's very sweet. And there are these paths and green spaces and, you know, there's a great appreciation for being outdoors and also respecting the environment. It sounds idyllic. And also, you know, you kind of already touching on a community and rebuilding community has been a massive focus on schools globally following the pandemic. Given the effect of the pandemic on families and children worldwide, what does it mean to build and rebuild a community? Yeah, you know, I think Shady Hill is, is known for its strong sense of community. So I think, you know, over the last three years, it's been a challenge. You know, we were isolated in the early moments where, you know, we were all kind of at home and using technology and in different ways to try to connect, but it wasn't the same in terms of being in person and being able to see each other's faces and mannerisms and expressions and, and also just to be in the same room and community, whether it's assemblies or a parent coffee or, you know, some sort of being in the classroom together. So, you know, and then the last few years, you know, there's been such strict protocols, at least in the first year when we did come back and we reopened testing everyone. But I think that sense of community was still missing because, you know, we had to teach in isolation. We couldn't be in each other's classrooms. We couldn't be, again, celebrating together in person for assemblies. And I think that parents and faculty and staff really, really missed it. I certainly missed it. And so, you know, this is the first year that I would say where we've moved really from our thinking from a pandemic to an endemic and the idea of us being back in person. So we just had our new parent dinner, let's say, last Wednesday night. And to be together in Assembly Hall and to connect, to be able to learn more about the history of the school and the culture and to learn about one another has been really important. So finding those moments, those touch points, certainly we did. We were creative in different ways of doing a lot of things outdoors, but I think it wasn't the same in terms of having some of those same traditions that we were used to. You know, they say that assembly is like, you know, coming to church every week. People sing songs together and kids get up and they, you know, share and have some wonderful sharings from their classrooms. And it's something really special. And you couldn't replicate that even on Zoom. And how do you prepare those students who may not have had those in-person assemblies before, you know, being in suddenly larger groups? Because going from an online environment to something that's very personal is very human. And actually, it's what makes communities really thrive. But that in itself is, is a challenge. You know, there's a lot of anxiety driven through pandemic, the natural isolation. Yeah. So, you know, the last two years we were just on Zoom and, you know, we would be like this and we'd have special guests and we have our music teachers come and sing. And it was interesting because 
you know, our teachers would say, hey, it's great to see everybody on the screen, but it's not the same of being in person. And, you know, our students also haven't, as you said, haven't had practice of being together. What does it mean to be an audience member, right? What does it mean to listen? What does it mean to take your turn? What does it mean to be in community with other classes and other grades? And so we've been scaffolding that this fall. You know, we started with our youngest students, bringing them together, you know, in two grades together, and then with the kindergarten. And then we started also with some of the larger, the bigger kids in fourth and third grade, bringing them together and having them take a leadership role, setting the tone. What does it mean? Again, just practicing where to sit, how to be, how to be attentive. And then, you know, our goal is to bring everyone together. We did that last week and this week, and then we'll invite parents in after that. So we're doing a little bit more rehearsing and a little bit more scaffolding and intentionality with, you know, kids behavior. And also how do you be a good audience member? How do you be a good performer? And what are ways in terms of you setting those norms with your community and with the lower school? How do you introduce safety and cooperation and safe play in those youngest of learners? Yeah, you know, play is integral to Shady Hill's mission and our values. You'll see play, you know, all the time on campus from our youngest students all the way through middle school where they're inventing their own recess games, being really creative about that. So, you know, it's central to learning, it's central to growth, it's certainly um, central to exploration and discovery. So, you know, many of them had not been in school at all in the last two, three years. They might have been learning from home or they might be learning in small pods, but they weren't in kind of a large group setting. Again, you know, being very intentional about expectations, I think are, you know, the way that our unstructured play works is, you know, kids come in the classroom and they get a chance to do choice time in the mornings. And so they can pick, you know, from a number of different things from drawing to, you know, playing with Legos or magnetic tiles, but some are also doing dramatic play. They're going up and they're doing a hair salon or they're doing the veterinarian, you know, kind of appointments. And the teachers have been more kind of, I would say, just vigilant and attentive to be able to step in and help kids with kind of some of the negotiation skills. How do you share? Like, how do you take turns? How do you listen to the needs of other people that you're in spaces with? What is safe play around, you know, being physically safe and then also being emotionally safe? And so I think that there's a lot of processing still that's going on and a lot more steps that are, you know, that's being taken by our teachers to ensure that kids are learning that and being reminded about that because you know, for a year or two, kids were sitting in rows and, you know, using their own pencil cases and and not, you know, sharing in the way that they typically do or interacting in the way that they do. So it's retraining and, and giving opportunities for kids to make mistakes and to also learn and grow from those mistakes. Outdoor education is a focus at Shady Hill, as is racial and social justice. How do you go about instilling character within a school environment? And how does the racial and social justice play its part? Yeah. So from, you know, an early age, I would say it's, it's really embedded into the curriculum, you know, from the beginning in kindergarten when they're, the theme is all about us. And so the kids are reflecting upon themselves, their family structure, which we have a lot of different family structures. What does it mean to be part of a family? What does a home look like? from different, you know, drawings and, and being able to discuss those things to, you know, everything from hair and facial color, like kids are exploring with that and talking about that. And in first grade, you know, we're talking about change makers and kids are learning about who are the change makers in our direct community and who are change makers that they admire and why, and how can they be a change maker in their community? Third grade, when we get to whales and whaling, you know, we're studying why were people in the 19th century, you know, leaving from Europe and coming to be on a whale ship and why were women being excluded and 
what was it about religious persecution and others leaving their countries because of racial persecution? And so we're directly kind of having those conversations and they become more sophisticated, you know, by the time they're in middle school, you know, by eighth grade, we're looking at immigration and who are the we and we the people, you know, these are the kind of through lines that we're challenging our students to look at throughout a whole year as they do a deep dive into central subject, which is our study of a people in a particular period of time. And what were the issues and problems and concerns of those people as they navigated together? Does this emphasis include teaching skills for good citizenship? The whole idea of kind of John Dewey was to create a population that is well-educated so they can participate in a democratic society. We're constantly getting kids to see that they have a role to play in change and in terms of being allies, in terms of being leaders, and to be able to articulate what does it mean to be a good ethical citizen and to talk about that, whether it's in the literature they're reading, whether it's in you know history and some of the storytelling or whether it's from different, you know, perspectives from different cultures. And I think, you know, in our middle school, for example, you know, yes, we do service. Yes, we have student government. But even in student government, like we ask them to create a proposal if they want to be part of the finance committee, right? So they actually have to think about what would that look like instead of I'm just giving a speech, right? And so um, what's great is that we're giving them really practical skills of things that they would have to do as a citizen of this country. I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. And how can schools help bridge this widening gap between the generations, between gender and race equity? Do we have to bring the parents along and how challenging is that with the different generations? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's part of our job as in education right now in terms of the homeschool partnership. I'll just say that the United States is in a very interesting place right now with everything from, you know, book bans to, you know, concerns about CRT and gender fluidity in schools. You know, Shady Hill has always been a place where we respect multiple perspectives, but we also want to have honest and transparent conversations. You know, I have some concerns. I'll, you know, take a one step of a political kind of moment to say that I have concerns about shutting down free speech right now and shutting down, you know, this ability for kids to ask questions about things and to say, well, those things can't be discussed in school. So I think that we do have a role to play. I think that, you know, we have grandparents and grandfriends that come back to school and they're able to see classrooms and be able to hear about why we teach what we teach and what is the power in that. You know, certainly we get questions sometimes about our curriculum, but I think it's really important to, one, be in good communication with parents. I don't think there should be any surprises. I think that we need to share how kids are learning and what they're learning and to do that on a regular basis. And then to be open to hear questions or concerns. You know, Shady Hill has always been a place that really values diversity, multiple perspectives, and it's also, you know, working towards, you know, racial and social justice. So, Part of that being our mission and our values is that this is the work that we're going to be doing in our school. During the great resignation as a result of the pandemic, education saw a massive loss of teaching staff, not just obviously in the USA, but around the world. How do we fill this gap? Because there's already a gap that we knew that was happening, that we had fewer, fewer teachers coming in. But to lose so many that were already in has left us with a bigger gap. How do we frame careers in education as attractive and sustainable? And how do you look at it at Shady Hill? Yeah, I think this is the greatest challenge that we face as school leaders for the next decade. 
I don't think that we have the pipeline uh, necessary to fill you know, all the jobs that will be open in the next several years with baby boomers retiring. You also have, as you mentioned, the great resignation over the last two years of over 300,000 alone educators resigning in the United States, and many of them going on to different kinds of careers. So I think we have to first really put higher value on education. I think it's the most important work. And it's the reason why I went into education, because you're molding the next generation. And without that kind of intentional and thoughtful work around how we're educating the population, who's going to you know, be the leaders of the, of the next you know, 50 years, it's a real problem if we don't have really good teachers. And I'm seeing this across the country right now as, as uh, schools are struggling to fill positions. So you have larger classrooms right now. You have schools that are not teaching certain disciplines because they don't have the teachers of the expertise. And then you have, you know, also just filling some of the higher skilled staff positions. And so I think we have to take a, a really hard look at, you know, what is the process of becoming a teacher? How do we make sure that we eliminate barriers, financial barriers, whether it's, you know, improving the resources, improving, you know, salaries, offering tuition-free, you know, programs? So that we can, you know, make it easier for folks to get into teaching. And then what is the kind of professional development and growth that we're going to offer our teachers? And how do we raise the level of respect in this country by also seeing that these are critical positions and roles for the future? And they're not going to be, you know, replaced by robots or AI technology. So the relational piece of caring and nurturing for a child and then being able to challenge them and also offer them, you know, different perspectives is so important. So I feel like, you know, we have a major calling ahead of us to fix this problem and it's not going to get easier. So I think, you know, this is where leaders can come together and hopefully come up with a plan. But I think it's also looking at our own communities. And that's one of the things Shady Hill is doing and saying, you know, what is it that keeps our faculty and staff here? What are the things that are going to incentivize them to stay and hearing from them directly and surveying them. And that's one of my goals this year is to, to hear more about how we can do that. I mean, you talked about retention and what you're doing at Shady Hill. Do you benchmark against whether any there are sort of local or national statistics in terms of retention for teachers? Or do you perform quite favorably? And if so, what is the magic recipe to teacher mm-hmm. retention? Yeah, you know, there was a recent NIS survey that they did. Uh, they asked, you know, all the schools in the independent school world to take a survey about teacher openings as well as teacher retention. And it was really interesting to see because, you know, there were still almost 30% of schools in the Northeast that had openings this fall. And luckily, you know, we did not. We certainly had some, you know, resignations this summer and a few, and we had to fill those, but we found good people to do that. And I think, you know, one of the things about Shady Hill is its professional culture. I've been associated with a lot of different schools, you know, charter independent schools. And there's a high level of professionalism here, but there's also a culture of really wanting to grow and learn as teachers and model the love of learning for our students, because we want them to have that love of learning for many years and for their whole lifetime. And so I think that we invest a lot in professional development and growth. We have a lot of speakers and different kind of themes that we think about each year. I think we send our faculty off to conferences and workshops and even, you know, life experiences. And I think that that's really important. And one of the things that we heard last year and from the pandemic is that our faculty wanted more time, social time together. And so 
carving out that time to just have impromptu gatherings, to have fun, to, you know, have a glass of wine or to, you know, be able to unplug a little bit and get to know one another. And so being very intentional about, you know, how are we gathering, not just for work and professional growth and learning, but also how can we do that socially and have fun together? Yeah, with any organization, you've got to kind of drive something around culture and culture can't be something that you can teach. It's something you feel. So you being intentional on the way you do that. And also part of it is you living into your mission. You talk about joyful. All of your community need to be bought into it. It can't just be something you put on your masthead and that you talk as a bit of corporate governance. It has to be something you utterly believe. So the gaps and the projections for where we are with teachers is horrifying, really. But you've gone one step further and you have an on-site teacher training center. What offerings are available there and how long has that been going? Yeah. So, you know, our first head of school, Catherine Taylor, back in the 1920s, you know, realized that many of the universities and colleges were not training teachers in our kind of interdisciplinary approach and pedagogy. And so she designed her own teacher training and preparation program. So that was 95 years ago. And certainly has evolved over the years. You know, now we are a place we see our teacher training program as a public purpose because our teachers go off to public schools and charter schools and independent schools with this progressive approach around teaching and learning. And so, you know, our program is the only independent school program that the state allows to endorse for licensure. So we have a public school partner as part of Boston Public School where our apprentices can take the second semester and teach in a urban public school and continue to get experience there and get certainly mentored and have opportunities to be working with a different population. We are able to offer, you know, eight different licensure programs from early childhood and elementary to middle school humanities, math, science, and even engineering, science, and technology. So, you know, I think what is really important also about that program, and, you know, we're taking our time to really think strategically about how do we build that pipeline and, and what do we have to do differently about the current structure? Because I feel like that is one in which we have a responsibility to fix. But I'll just say that I think as we talk about culture and why people stay in schools, I think this renewal that we have each year of bringing in you know, eight to 10 new teachers with some are career changers, some are right out of college, but they're asking questions. They're asking questions about practice and research and why we do what we do. And they're also bringing new ideas to the classroom. And that's really engaging as a mentor teacher to be able to have a teacher that you're also being able to coach and mentor throughout the year, but also who's also challenging you about why we do what we do in our practice and being able to bring you know, new, fresh ideas. I want to wrap up by asking you the big crystal ball question, because we've talked about lots of skills. You talk about character education and some really important skills that we need to understand about diversity and equity and inclusion. Does generation particularly care about more and are more vocal with, and they will vote with their phones and their voices? What does the future of education hold? Yeah, you know, I think it's a combination of things. But as we know, we don't know what, and even in 20 years, what the top 10 jobs or professions will be. And so we got to continue to commit ourselves to fostering critical thinking skills, creative problem solving, collaboration. We know that's going to be a lot of collaboration across different cultures. And again, that's why it's important to have an appreciation of differences of opinions, but also appreciation of different cultures and perspectives. And that's something that we have to train our students for. There's the soft skills of empathy and compassion. There's the skills of being a good writer. How do you also be a good digital citizen? You know, there's a, a number of things that 
we need to continue to do as educators. But I think that it's making sure that we're building and fostering like good democratic ethical citizens. And so those skills are just as important as, you know, being able to take a test or being able to write an essay or give a persuasive speech. But I think that we also have to build good citizens. You can connect with me on Twitter, Instagram, and via LinkedIn. Remember, keep inspiring schools. We need more future school thinking now.